This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. To Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. I had to take my lizard back to the store because it was always uh it would never like use all four of its legs, which was weird. And mm. also it never stopped telling bad jokes. And I took it back and the guy said, Ah, that's not a lizard. That's a stand-up chameleon. That's <laughs> not it's not great that's i know i had to bring one that i had to bring i had to bring some some yeah. like weak game yeah. so that people appreciate it when i bring the strong game because sure. if it's not really a dad joke unless you go ah right so right I, I feel like i've been they've been too good lately so we've been away for a few weeks hank uh, we've been on vacation i'm sort of we've been on vacation <laughs> from this part of our job at any rate yeah and uh-huh. I've missed it a great deal. I haven't missed the dad jokes, but I've missed talking to you. I've missed missed, missed being able to catch up. Missed, missed the questions from our listeners. Most of all, missed the news from from Mars. Don't get a lot of Mars news when you're not around. <laughs> yeah. But I also, I, I miss the chance to discuss hot take issues. And I it made me think, is there a place either here or maybe in This Week in Stuff, our Patreon-only podcast at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. Is there a place for us to discuss hot topics, sizzling hot topics from the social internet that are at least three weeks old that everyone has forgotten about? (laughs) Can we... I mean, John, I don't even know how to find those. Okay, so I have an idea which is that when they are sizzling, piping hot, we write mm-hmm. them down and then we wait yeah. three weeks. So I don't think that's how it works. Can I, I don't think that's how it works. I think that they just vanish. So I, I, have, I have one, okay? Okay, all right. I've, I've got one. It's three weeks old. It, it, was, it was so warm 
when it first happened, and now it is uh-huh. it's ice cold. Nobody's talking about it. It's the perfect time to bring it back. So a few weeks ago, well, you got for me. People got really angry, and I think with good reason, that this documentary nonfiction film used Anthony Bourdain's voice to say things that Anthony Bourdain never actually said oh. using one of these oh. AI uh, really? voice recognizers that turns your voice into a voice yeah, that yeah, can yeah. say anything. And Anthony uh-huh. Bourdain is a celebrity chef and and TV host who who has died. And so this was done without his knowledge or permission because it was done after his death. What That's is you- wild. I, I missed that one. I was not around that day. What is your take, Hank, on how you would feel if somebody took your voice after your death and made you immortal, or at least your voice immortal, by like turning it into one of the voices of uh, Ask Google or whatever? Well, I mean, so first of all, I'd be happy to have that happen if, if like, I, if you just like, if I just had to like talk into a box a bunch and well, frankly, I've talked into a box a bunch already. But, ma- but man, we don't have to talk into a box a bunch because they have plenty of our voice, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah, we are some of the people for whom this would not be challenging because yes, they correct. could just feed in Dear Hank and John yeah, I and think so, Vlogbrothers videos and get everything we've ever said. Yeah. So so the question is, how how am I slash my estate slash the these causes that I most want to support um, how do they benefit from that? Because this is something that I created. I made this voice. This is mine. Right. And so I, I like so something like someone along the process should have benefited from this. So before I died, I should get paid, or somebody should be somebody should be getting paid. And I think this actually just happened with TikTok. They had to change the tick the voice of like the auto generated TikTok captions because the person who spoke those words hadn't given permission TikTok to use their voice wow, or something like that. Yeah. I don't actually know the entire story. So don't, don't quote me on any of that, but I know that they had to switch it. And I think it was because of a, a voice rights thing, but like, it's a very weird thing to, but this, this does raise the question. If it's done by a machine, it feels a little bit wrong, but if somebody gets up there and like, just like just makes a, a video playing grand theft auto and doing an impression of Morgan Freeman, that's not weird. That's just a person doing an impression of Morgan Freeman while playing Grand Theft Auto. Because it's not their so, actual, it's not Morgan Freeman's actual voice. It's somebody imitating Morgan Freeman. But is Freeman. it distinguishable That's, from that? That is fundamentally different to me than somebody taking my actual voice, words I actually said, reordering them, yeah. and then making it seem like I said that thing that I didn't ever say. So, So what I'm okay with is having people take my voice and then with everyone's knowledge turn it into a thing that is saying different things but but what i'm not okay with is you take my voice and you make me say something and people don't know that that happened and so now i'm narrating a mm-hmm. a documentary film mm-hmm. saying a bunch of words that people think i said right. that i didn't say that that is a very important distinction. I brought all of this up, Hank, because I know that you're wrapping up your will. And I am. I am very excited. Please hurry. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You, you, it's later than you think, to quote the Roman sundials. And I, I think that you should just put in a little dependent clause somewhere that just says that. 
just like if you use my voice to say things I never said, you have to say that you're using my voice to say things I never said. Do you think that Morgan Freeman will keep narrating documentaries after he's dead? Oh, yes. Are you kidding? I think like Morgan Freeman's estate is hard at work securing the permanent future, as is David Attenborough's securing the permanent future of the voice so that we can, you know, have... David Attenborough 300 years from now. There, there will uh, never nar- be another person who gets to narrate no. a documentary film about nature again. Right, right. The- David Attenborough did it. He lived long enough. Yeah. That- <laughs> the longstanding question, like, who will be the next David Attenborough has been answered. It will be David Attenborough <laughs> oh, in perpetuity. Oh, no, my God. Well, because, like, nobody could do what he does because no one speaks that way anymore. Oh, no. There's such a gravitas to his voice. It's incredible. Same with Morgan Freeman, right? So, like, are these iconic voices just going to be sort of the semi-permanent iconic voices? It's weird to think right. about, but it's possible. Oh my god! Well, it's a, it's a, um, okay. And and as and as and as quasi dystopian as that seems, there must have come a time, right, when somebody was like, "Hey, I wonder who the next Homer is going to be." And then somebody else was like, oh, um, no, I guess it's going to be the last Homer forever because we just wrote it down. You're talking about Homer the poet. The oh, you thought poet. I was talking about Homer Simpson. <laughs> and me and everyone else who was listening. <laughs> I do wonder. I mean, yeah. Well, like, because maybe, th- maybe Homer Simpson is also covered for the next 500 years. That, that's always been the thing. And, we, you know, you, you, Kermit has been several different people, but like. Maybe someday Kermit won't have to be people anymore. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, probably. God, because like it, you, you can have a human involved. It's not like you have to just say, like, write the words down and have them say it. Like, you can have a human deciding the intonation of the sentence. Yeah. It's just not going to be the person speaking. It's going to be the person sitting in front of the computer looking at the waveforms. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, thanks well, for coming to Freezing Hot Takes with Hank and John. I've got a different one for this weekend <laughs> stuff after the pod. That's free. I mean, freezing hot takes, John. That's that's great. Thank you. You have you. Did you think of that before you thought of the idea? Because it's such a good title. No, I thought of it as I was thinking of the idea. I should go on vacation more often. I came home with like seven ideas. (laughs) Oh, man, I haven't gone on vacation in so long. Oh, my God. What's that even like? It's great. You get so many ideas. Oh, geez. Yeah, I've been to weddings or to visit family. And that is all I've been to for I don't know. It feels like years. Oh Jesus! Let's uh, let's uh, let's let's pull ourselves out of that spiral and answer some questions from our listeners. Okay, this first one comes from from Rebecca, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, how deep is sand? And while we're at it, what is below sand? Not Becca again, Rebecca. John, do you know how deep it, the sand is? I feel like this is one of those trick questions where like it goes all the way to the middle, or or alternately, it's like three inches deep. Which one is it? Well, well, I mean, it doesn't go all the way to the middle, uh, but it can be like three inches deep and it can be a, ver- a variety of depths. And what is under the sand? Uh, sometimes it's just sand that got so hard that it's rock now, but other times it's rock. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, it wildly varies, basically. Good to know. The other thing to know about sand is that uh, if the sea level goes up uh, five feet or so, mm-hmm. there will be like 95% less of it on the beaches. Because sand, sandy beaches take a tremendous amount of time to form, and oh. they require a very stable sea level. And why would the sea level go up? Oh, you know, maybe the water just gets bigger. 
<laughs> just the molecules if the water decides to have a third hydrogen. <laughs> yeah, they just all of them added on a third hydro. They're just like, I'm going to be a different now. Uh, it just swells up like a sponge. And then, I don't know, that's what I've heard. <laughs> that's what people are saying, you know? That's what people are <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that on Facebook and a bunch of other places that water might get yeah, a third hydrogen molecule that would lead to the oceans rising. Bigger. Yeah. People are saying that all over the place. Something like that. This next question comes mm-hmm. from Lucy who asks, Dear John and Hank, I'm starting at a new high school in September, which is exciting. Is it? Is it? Or is it just terrifying? <laughs> are you just trying to be positive? I love that. No, I love that. Let Lucy believe okay, that it's going to be right. exciting. You're, I love that. Okay. It's exciting, but it also makes me very nervous. Through Okay. Much experience being anxious. I found it helps me to break things down into smaller steps and take them bit by bit. Oh, Lucy, you are a person after my own heart. That is also my number one strategy. Break it down into small (laughs) steps and take them bit by bit. So here's my question. What is your best advice for morning homeroom on the first day of school? How do I find it? Mm. Where do I sit? Do I talk to someone or just pretend to read? What if they make us go around and introduce ourselves to the class? Dubious advice, much appreciated. In the sky, Lucy. Uh, John, do you want me to tell you how I handled this situation? I bet you crushed it. Uh, Here's what I did. I thought about it a great deal. I rehearsed um, every potential avenue of questioning, every potential outcome. I did bring Tic Tacs, and then I practiced what it would look like to open up the Tic Tac and throw one in uh, and then close it back up, because that seemed like it was a cool thing to do. Very cool. I... Did did uh, did a try to make my hair look as much like Wesley Crusher's as possible, and then upon arrival, was extremely and permanently silent. But I did find the room, so that's good. How do you find a room in a school? I don't know, Lucy. I have dreams about not finding rooms in schools, and I'm 41 years old. I do, too. I do, too. You're going to find the room. It's going to be okay. That's the most important thing is to remind yourself that this is going to be okay. You are not the first person to have gone to a new high school. This is an experience that billions of people have had, many of them less Mm -hmm. qualified to do it than you are. It is going to be okay. Uh, And there will be systems in place to support your locating the homeroom class. That said, even though I agree, Hank, that like all of our plans fall apart the moment homeroom, (laughs) that homeroom bell actually rings... I still think it's helpful to make the plans because it's a way of kind of calming yourself, reminding yourself that you're going to be okay. The biggest thing I would say that you're not making space for here, Lucy, because I think thinking, should I talk to someone? Should I read a book? I think you should bring a book just to be safe, right? Um, That's all helpful thoughts. And But the biggest thing to remember is that everyone else in the homeroom class is having the same experience. They are also scared. They are also freaked out by the first day. They have also spent the summer worrying about this moment. They are also thinking about how to cleverly and coolly flick a Tic Tac into their open mouth. Like, (laughs) because because they are the main character of their story. And like they probably aren't thinking about you one way or another because they are so overwhelmed by having to think about themselves. Yeah. I mean, the the picking of the book is a is a is a challenge. But here's what I'd say about the picking of the book. Big challenge. Anybody in homeroom who's reading a book has thought a lot about what book they've picked. Right. And they're probably also uh, pretending to be halfway through instead of just starting it. Yes. So they're not even really reading it. They they didn't want to look like they're on the first page. 
So they've they've just skipped to the middle. So it looks like, oh, I'm halfway through books all the time. I would but definitely what, bring a book that you've already finished just in case somebody yes. asks you a question about it. Yes. And yes, I would. Because I, I think that, it, that, 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 that to some extent, having a book in homeroom is saying, please ask me about my book. Oh. Because maybe this is a conversation starter. That's 99% of what it's about, right? Yeah. It's like when you open up a book at a coffee shop you're like, please, please let this be the moment of the meat cute of my life. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I was at the, the Splash Park in Missoula, Montana uh, with Oren and somebody was reading a book called Vacationology, I think it was called. Mm. Uh, and I was like that, like uh, I was like this. This is a person who does not want to be at the Splash Park at Missoula, Montana, uh, or maybe maybe this is how they're vacationing. Um, but <laughs> right. The, yeah. Uh, just the the idea. I, I I very nearly was like, so where do you want to go? But I didn't. I didn't do it. <laughs> Hank, I think this is a very fruitful line of inquiry. What if you had to go to a tenth grade homeroom tomorrow at a new school, which by the way, is in the in the bottom one percent of places I would like to go tomorrow. But if you did, <laughs> what book would you bring? Because uh, it's got to be a book that communicates a lot of things about you simultaneously. Even yeah. though, of course, nobody is going to notice, and so it won't really matter. Yeah. But like you notice, so what book do you bring? Well, I think the person comes up to me and they're like, "So what are you reading?" And I'm like, "Oh, this I." I wrote this. It's uh, my first novel. <laughs> oh, this this is an absolutely <laughs> remarkable thing. Number it really one says New York a lot Times about me. If, if you want to know yeah. about me, this is really where right. you want to start. No, um, and I, I guess that's probably also the moment when your classmate says to you, um, "I don't want to be rude or anything, but are, aren't you a forty-one-year-old adult?" <laughs> And also, haven't you read that before? Like, yeah, exactly. Aren't there Wait, other more your important own book books? to class? Oh man, Trying I don't to know. Squeeze out eighty cents through a paperback purchase. Would you first? Would you do fiction or nonfiction? It's a great question. I probably. I mean, certainly in high school, I would have one hundred percent done fiction. Now, I think that I would probably, yeah, still do fiction. Okay. What about you? I don't know. I think I think that I I think that now and in high school, the, regardless, I am trying to project that I am a nerd interested in science, and so mm. either I'm reading some hard science fiction, like like maybe something something from the Expanse series or Kim Stanley Robinson. I mean, I would read Kim. I would have Kim Stanley Robinson if I thought that that was going to like attract anyone. But I feel like it's just it it may, may be a little bit too obscure, uh, or some you know, cool science, like uh, The Cheating Cell by uh, Athena Actippus, I think, which is like a, you know, nonfiction book about how cancer works or something where it's just like, look at how smart I am kind of book. Right, right. I might actually bring a nonfiction book, but it would be this book, An Island to Oneself by Tom Neal, a guy who lived alone on an island for like 30 years. Just as a way of trying to communicate to my classmates, like, I don't need you guys. I'm good. I've got this book. I'm just on a desert island surrounded by 3,400 of my peers who terrify me. They say no man is an island, but I, but I have but found I am. it. But not I this am. man. That's right. Oh, oh, 
Um, I see that you're looking over at me and my book. Excuse me while I execute this extremely complex and sexy tic-tac maneuver. <laughs> I, think, I remember thinking about the tic-tac maneuver. And then like I did it one time at school and I was like, that was a wrong call. That was super embarrassing. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Yeah. You, you, yeah, we all have those ideas. And then when we actually do them in, in yeah. social settings, I'm always like, oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, it was so transparent. Well, John, I have to say that even now, I still have no go-to move to look cool. Um, except, I guess, a blazer. I don't know. I've got yeah. over a t-shirt. Is that going to do it? No. Ugh. No. But I've seen you try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This next question comes from Caroline, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have misplaced the wedding invite I received for my friend's wedding, which is tomorrow. I don't know anyone else going to this wedding. How do I ask her what time the wedding starts? I hope they don't play sweet Caroline. Oh, boy, I bet you don't. This is a tough one. I think I have a solution. Here's the thing, Caroline. I'm going to be honest with you and say that you cannot text your friend um, to ask what time the wedding starts. Yeah. You just just can't. Your friend is in an intense, intense moment, and you don't want to add to that. So I think I have a solution, Hank, and work work with me on this one. I think you show up at the venue at 10 a.m. Because nobody gets married before (laughs) 10 a.m., right? And if <laughs> kind of like if your friend did get married before 10 a.m., that's sort of on them, you know, like like they sort of didn't yeah. deserve for you oh, to be at the God. ceremony. I, is, the, is it is there not a website somewhere? Oh, my God. This is. And then you just wait it out. You know, you just you, bring a bunch of Tic Tacs. Just have a picnic. Just, no, I, I, yeah. I feel like that's kind of a nice uh-huh. thing you can do for yourself. Like bring a book. Sit outside or sit in your car and just like have a day of you time. And then when you start to see other people show up, be like, oh, I, I guess, guess it was at one o'clock. <laughs> uh, what, here's one thing that I do need to say to the world because I didn't appreciate it um, and I did not know this and it got me in trouble. Weddings start... When they say they start. Yeah. I don't know why I had the impression that it would be like a movie where like, (laughs) yeah, okay, it says it starts at this time. But there's going to be like, you know, you got to allow for people to like mill around and get a drink and have a chat. No, No, that all happens before when the wedding starts. Or after. The date, the time on the thing. The time on the thing is when the wedding starts and you have to be there then or you will miss one of your best friend's weddings, not, which I did. Yeah, not only that, but because weddings a lot of times only last like eight minutes. Yeah. If you're eight minutes late, like you, That's you may miss the wedding. Yeah. No, I missed it. I have straight missed it. Now, my wedding lasted for at least six days. God, so it was, there was, it was no long. risk of anybody, nobody, <laughs> no risk of anybody missing it. Oh my gosh! When that when that service ended, I I I felt like I I really did feel like I was a new person. I felt like my my life had changed, but mostly just because I a lot had happened. I'd never sat still in front of an audience that large for that long. Yeah, am I oh, am God. I right in remembering that like one person didn't uh, make it all the way through? Oh yeah, no one of my one of my uh, good friends fainted. Yeah. Oh, the, it was. Uh, I guess the way I said that did make it sound like someone died. No one died. No, nobody <laughs> died. Um, there was a hospitalization, but it was unrelated to, to the wedding directly. It it was it was just. A, <laughs> huh, I mean, I loved I loved 
getting married. I loved having all of my my friends and family there. I loved being mm-hmm. surrounded. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible day because you know that you know this uh, this group of people will never exist again. Like we'll never be yeah. together again. And and these people are wishing you well for your whole life. The people who like loved you up in childhood, and it's just an incredible moment. Yeah. But all of that, all of that said, it is also really stressful to have that much attention on you. Yeah. Like it is. And that's why that's why I kind of think you can't unless it's a small wedding and a really good friend. I I wouldn't text. I would find another way. Yeah, I'd find another way If you know, if you know no one else, that's hard. Yeah. Because because like it like. You got to do some sleuthing. You got to you got to like start and be like, can I get in touch with this person's brother? Yeah. Who are they? Right. Are their DMs open on Instagram? Yes. Like you got to pull out all the stops. Yes, that's a good solution. Just be like, hey, uh, brother of the bride, it's me, person you don't know. Shouldn't have left your DMs open. Anyway, um, what time's the wedding start? <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> have you ever been to I, I've been thinking so I've been thinking about this a little bit Hank because I know that the pandemic has deeply changed me because I've gone from being a person who frankly resented going to weddings 99% of the time to a person who is desperate to be invited to anyone's wedding yeah. and and yeah. will attend if there is an open bar and it is within like 45 minutes of my house if anybody listening to this is getting married wants me to come to their wedding I'm available watch it, watch it I'm happy John. to be a guest I'm, I, I will I'll even buy you a gravy boat but and that that is and that is a huge change in my worldview that has occurred over no. the last 18 months where like I am so ravenous for human connection that I will go alone to a wedding well, where I know no one. Also, you and I just the the first wedding we went to after when we could again was a very oh. good wedding. Oh god, it was incredible. It, it was, was so it was good. maybe it, the I don't want to throw your wedding under the bus. It was a great time and I certainly don't want to throw was, my wedding no, under I the bus because agree. it was wonderful. But Hannah and Ella's wedding was <laughs> way better. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I, I got back and I was like, I was like totally recommitted to the entire idea of people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh God. And that's and that's part of the magic of what weddings do, right? Like they make you feel hopeful and they remind you of the strange power of ritual and love in this world and like yeah they're great they're awesome and i and i'm i'm and i'm ready to go to yours i'm ready not yours hank you you don't ever get to have one again but i'm ready to go to anyone else's <laughs> i do want to i have been thinking like how do i get how do i get married to catherine again so that we can get all of those people together i'm certainly not all of those people together but many of those people together again um i just want to have parties john i want to have parties yeah like i want to do what hannah and ella did but like for my friend, for my friends, you can. Um, you can. That's that's yeah, allowed. I, I, yeah, nobody's yeah. stopping so you. I'm just and trying to figure that out. And if you want to renew your vows, if there is an open bar, I will be there. <laughs> I think there will be, even if it's like the kind of like yeah. second class open bar you had at your first wedding, where it was just like a bunch of beer <laughs> in a cooler. I'll still come. Just, no, it was. We had two kegs. Thank you very much. <laughs> And I was stressed out all night that we weren't going to finish them, despite the fact that that's like a totally normal outcome. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, what what would be the what would be the bad thing about not finishing them? Like having a less drunk wedding party <laughs> that I that I purchased 
I purchased oh, beer that did not oh. get consumed. I've got a feeling that, that that beer gets used one way or another somehow. Oh, gosh. I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know how it works. I also don't, I don't know, know how, how it works. works. Okay, Hank, now that I've thrown out a wide net in search of wedding invitations, let's move on to this next question from Tunde, <laughs> who writes, Dear John and Hank, I think I've just had my own sneezing is not normal incident. Oh, Tunde, we all have one, oh, one or two in our lives. I work at a medieval living history museum. Well, you really buried the lead there. <laughs> That's... <laughs> That's great. In the future, if you want to get your question answered on Dear Hank and John, you really need to have I work at a medieval living history museum in the first sentence. <laughs> I mean, there can't be that many of these. We could go find them. The other day at the archery grounds, I told a small child, you're going to shoot all three arrows all the way across the water. I can feel it in my bones. And then this child looked at me and said, with full sincerity, you have bones? <laughs> it hasn't left my mind since. Did I meet an alien child? Is it normal to have bones? Do you have bones? Rather perplexed greetings, Tunde. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a theory about how this happened. Okay. But I, I want to hear... Your answer first, Hank. Um, Do you have bones? Yeah, everybody has bones as long as they're like uh, <laughs> out of the womb human. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's sort of the definition of bones. <laughs> so I think I know what happened here because I, I had this when I was a kid. When I was a kid, mm. there was a brief time in my life and I understood, I, I guess like I had this thing when I was a kid where there were almost like two kinds of awareness. There was the sort of scientific knowledge that I was being taught in school, which I understood was true, but like just didn't resonate very deeply with me. And then there was like the knowledge of my imagination, which was incredibly powerful, so powerful that like I could live with all kinds of contradictions between these two worlds. And I remember thinking as a little, little kid that bones were what your body turned into after you died. Oh, that like, like you like everything just like got like it melted sort of dried into, up into a, a skeleton. skeleton shape. Yes. Like you Ooh, dried gross. into a skeleton. Oh, so we don't have bones. Bones are what's left after we're gone. In which case this poor child must have been looking at Tunde and thinking, oh my God, <laughs> it's some sort of zombie. <laughs> Why is he? Why, is it, why did he eat another person? Exactly. He's, Where, he's well, how did that happen? Oh God, he's he's animated bones. It's it's my worst nightmare. <laughs> it's my biggest fear. And it's bones come yeah, to life. And I mean, honestly, that is a little bit troubling. Yeah, yeah. It's weird that we are bones come to life. That's weird. Yeah, Tunde also just uh, not really an answer to your question or involved at all in it. Tell me where your open-air medieval history museum is, because I'm looking for a vacation. Yeah. I would like to go on a vacation, and maybe it's maybe it's wherever you are. I'm going to go to a wedding in Wabash, Indiana, and Hank is going to go to a medieval <laughs> living history museum in, I'm going to guess, Sweden? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm guessing Europe just because it's medieval living history. But I looked up a list of uh, open-air living history museums and it's long. Oh really? So, we have one here in we have one here in Indianapolis. It could be anywhere. And if you're getting though, married there next weekend, I'll come. Though if we're going by <laughs> if we're going by where uh where it's most likely to be based on where there are the most of them, oh. two days in Germany. Because Germany is all about living okay. history museums. All right. Well, there we go. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And I, I, I'm not willing to fly. I can't fly to Germany right now to attend your wedding. But I can, if I'm not doing anything on a Saturday, there's no Liverpool game, and it's after noon, I'll be there. <laughs> oh, my God, John. Uh, I love it. I love this for you. How big of a journey have I been on in quarantine to be actively seeking social engagements with strangers, no less? That is, I, I am I am as shocked as everyone else. Um, I p- potentially significantly more shocked than John is. I, I feel like it's I feel like I'm having a fever dream and it's going to pass. Yeah, I, I think that probably you'll go to no, none of these uh, weddings, but I uh, encourage people to invite John. This next question comes from Lauren, who asks, dear Hank and John, I'm confused about how bees work. I understand that they are cheerful and buzzy. But uh, oftentimes the honey is advertised as being from a specific type of plant, like clover honey. How do you control a bee and tell it which flower to go to? Do you just have to like surround it by a monoculture of a certain sized radius? Is there a limited distance that the bees are willing to travel? Are they uncontrollable? And this is all just a clever marketing ruse. Please explain these bees. Lauren B. The B does not stand for bee. Well... What does it stand for then, Lauren? It stands for Beth. She actually said that, and I didn't say it. Um, oh, okay. John, you, did you know that there are specific types of flower honey? Mm, yes. Yeah, because that's like a it's like a fancy thing. Like there's honey, and I think mostly think of honey as like honey. But like then you can get like fancy honey, and the fancy honey will tell right. you like like oftentimes in Montana I'll be like this is knapweed honey, which is a right right a specific kind of flower, and uh, but we also have clover honey. And I looked into this, um, and for what what you need to know is clover honey is a specific has a specific like flavor, and so you can tell like if you're a fancy honey person, you can tell if the bees were mostly using clover flowers, and uh, mm. clover is a good flower for bees; they like it, and they uh, and there's a lot of it around, and so in certain places they do plant a lot of clover just to make good clover honey, which is a mild-flavored honey that a lot of people like. But it's not like only clover. The bees are also going to other kinds of flowers, and clover honey will taste different from season to season. Okay. So it doesn't mean, like, these bees only interacted with clover. Yeah. It means this tastes like other clover honey you've tasted because these bees had a bunch of clover available to them. Yeah, most mostly interacted with clover. Um, and clover also, I think, blooms for a long time, which is nice. It does. Uh, so it does. So that that's also makes it a good bee flower. We have a lot of clover in our emerging. Um, what is what is the opposite of a monoculture? <laughs> I mean, n- nature. Po- poly polyculture. <laughs> a garden. Yes. It, <laughs> yeah. Right. In our emerging natural landscapes that uh, that that we've been working on which which actually reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by John Green's Clover Honey. Ooh. John Green's Clover Honey. It's not like exclusively clover. It's just uh, there's some clover in it. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by Slick Tic Tac Maneuvers. <laughs> Slick Tic Tac Maneuvers. No one's going to know I hit them. They're going to think, look at that man's hair. Wow. And then they'll just be like, "Wow, are you single?" <laughs> <laughs> The thought is just that nobody nobody knew Hank when he was 15. The thought of somebody going up to Hank in homeroom class, and I I say this with tremendous affection and saying, are you single? It's the single funniest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) 
like you throw back that tic tac, and like every head in the class turns and is like, oh, <laughs> hello, wow, <laughs> wow. Uh. does that guy work out? No. <laughs> Today's podcast is also today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by missing wedding invitations. Missing wedding invitations, an occasion for perhaps just like spending a morning alone in a parking lot, just chilling out, waiting for uh, the wedding to start. And this podcast is also brought to you by Bones. Bones, you got any? You got some. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Connor Mitchell, who writes, In high school, I watched Wimbly Wombly videos in hallways with friends. We'd never been much into real sports, but fake soccer had its appeals. Slowly and strangely, the real AFC Wimbledon captured my heart. And a few years later, I was yelling and singing in drunken bliss as Lyle Taylor Baby scored a hat trick at my first game. Wow. Thanks, John, and all Wimbledon fans for helping me be a part of this special club. Thank you, Connor. I hope you get to go to see a game at Plow Lane soon. That's super cool. My heart is a little broken uh, reading that, I have to say, Hank, because I really, really wanted to be at the first packed yeah. Plow Lane game. And uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's in two weeks. And uh, I just decided um, it's not... Uh, not, 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 not going to work for me. Um, yeah, and for our family. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, someday soon, Connor, we will meet at a Wimbledon game. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us—the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories, and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. So we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but there are two things that you shouldn't compromise on. One is name brand Dr. Pepper. The off-brand stuff just doesn't hit the same. And another is, of course, your health. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines or their family group chat or the crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you 
and instantly book appointments with them online. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat basically any condition you're searching for. And the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. So go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. John, this next question comes from Jane, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why is white noise called white noise? It just sounds like noise noise to me. I can't sleep, Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is a weird term, isn't it? Well, and actually, there's there's a specific reason why it is called white noise. And and what is that reason? So white light is light that is uh, representative of all of the spectrums of visible light pretty much evenly. Oh. Uh, so just like flat oh. spectrum of all visible light and white noise is a flat spectrum of all hearable noise. Hmm. Okay. Of all the different frequencies of noise. And, they, and there are other uh, noises that are represented as color, like there's brown noise. And brown noise has like certain frequencies sort of like lower down and other frequencies ramped up so that it's sort of a, like has less hiss in it and mm. is a, like has more lower end mm. uh, frequencies. Um, and apparently that's sort of analogous to brown. But there's also, so th- so like this this idea extends to other senses as well. There is a, a, a company that has made olfactory white. So it is the smell that just like, if you add a bunch of smells together, you get this smell, mm. which is very strange because no one can explain what olfactory white smells like. All of the researchers... Who who like try to tell you what it smells like? Always come up with different descriptions that have nothing to do with each other. Oh, that's oh, that is very interesting to me because I am completely fascinated by how we apply language to smell. Like it is so much easier for us to um, apply language to sights and sounds, and even fe- like physical sensation than it is to right. yeah. to smell. Uh-huh. And I'm fascinated, as you know, Hank, I, I'm fascinated by the places where like language and experience just don't match up well. So it's interesting that olfactory white is a scent that the people who designed it can't describe. Right. We need some, we need some more effective people on the, on the task. Yeah. They should have sent a poet. Indeed. <laughs> on the subject of white noise, though, I wonder if you've ever had an experience that I've had a bunch of times and I don't know quite what to make of. So sometimes the power goes out. And when the power goes out, you realize all at once that there was all this noise that you are now not hearing, this humming, this uh, kind of very high-pitched, high-frequency sound. And then there is like a new level of silence when the power goes out. Yeah. Are you familiar with this feeling? Yeah. Yes. And for me, even though like I'm stressed out because the power just went out and it's a bad, obviously it's a bad thing and something has to be dealt with, I feel in that moment immediately relaxed. Huh. Like I like something inside of me, like like a breath I didn't know I was holding, to use the cliche, is released in that moment. And I've always wondered if that's just me or if it's like a common human thing that there's a certain level of like anxiety, background anxiety that just comes with this like literal background home. Hmm. Um, I would not want to think too much about that because uh, there's nothing to do about it. Well, walking outside. But yes, other than that, there isn't much to do about it. (laughs) 
I can certainly hear the background hum of the truck that is parked in my alley right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I'm back in my podcasting studio at last, so I can hear the background hum of the heavy trucks moving along the interstate, which is... (laughs) I'm sure it's annoying for Tuna, but it's a huge relief for me to not have my children running around upstairs and screaming at me while I'm trying to pod. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, let's answer this question from Kelly, who writes, Dear John and Hank, someone on Twitter was at a dinosaur dig and mentioned that they uncovered a rib bone that had not seen the sun in 150 million years. Mm. I guess it's the bone It's the bone special, Hank. We are, <laughs> it's all skeletons all the time right now. <laughs> that got me to thinking, maybe that dinosaur became a skeleton before it was a fossil, so the bone did see the sun. But what about my bones like my ribs are currently inside of me does the sunlight penetrate my skin and tissue enough to reach my bones Mm. in the middle it's the middle of the night but i cannot stop thinking about this so i got up to write you about it have my ribs ever seen the sun kelly well kelly let me suggest some white noise Uh, i was not working for jane but it might work for you (laughs) uh so i thought a lot about this Now, one thing I know is that if I hold my iPhone flash up to my finger, my finger turns like glows pink. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine some of those photons aren't getting to the little bone in there. So I think that probably like ribs aren't very like they they can be pretty surface level. Um, So I think probably there photons, some photons get to your ribs, but also photons definitely get to your ribs if you ever get an X-ray, because that's the whole point. Right. Uh, Those little X-ray, X-ray light photons, uh, not visible light. Uh, well, so like it, this is a semantic thing. Do you just mean visible light, or do you mean uh, any anything in the electromagnetic spectrum? Um, you, then you definitely are getting getting hit by some photons there. But sunlight, um, and then has sunlight ever reached the bones? Right. Well, this is that is a good point. Um, and I I would guess yes, but I don't know for sure. But here's what I do know. The reason why we keep our blood manufacturing factory inside of our bones Mm -hmm. is because we want to protect that system, which churns out a huge amount of cells for your entire life. So it's it it by far produces the most cells of any any part of your body. And uh, and so we really want to protect that from any radiation at all possible. Right. And this is not a big deal for us because at, we have big meaty legs and that's pr- protecting it. But for our ancestors that had very small bodies and light could go right through it, they actually, th- this is why the blood production moved into mm. the bones mm. to protect it so that it wouldn't get hit by ultraviolet light uh, that might uh, ionize some DNA somewhere and create a mutation. So, uh, so specifically the inside of your bones are not only do not see light but are designed to not see sunlight wow so there's that it's kind of beautiful to think that there's a very dark place inside all of my bones yeah where my life is being made yeah yeah it's like oh wow the, we needed the dark yeah well that turned out to be quite lovely hank <laughs> Uh, do you have uh, news from AFC Wimbledon for me? Oh, I've got a ton. I mean, Hank, it's been like th- five weeks. Do I have news from AFC Wimbledon? I have hardly anything else. <laughs> oh, I mean, e- everything, everything has happened. But the main thing that's happened is that AFC Wimbledon have played um, all of their preseason games now. And preseason doesn't matter 
It does not matter. These are games that we play as friendlies to try to, you know, check different lineups and figure out different combinations of players and different formations and whatnot. Um, that said, mm. it has not gone well. Um, we uh, we lost to Brentford, who are in the Premier League, so that's kind of expected. Then we lost to Kingstonian, who are in the seventh tier. Then we lost to Metropolitan Police, uh, who are also in the seventh tier. Then we tied Hampton and Richmond Borough. Then we lost to Dartford. <laughs> not not a great situation. Then we lost to Woking. There's a team <laughs> called Woking, and we lost to them. And we also lost to Scunthorpe. It was really... It was really a, a tour of the funniest <laughs> place names in England. That's and how can we lose to each of them? Uh, so, uh, is there a, a reason why you guys are losing so much? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess there's two schools of thought about that. One is that uh, you know it doesn't matter; these games are for learning; they're not for winning. Um, and the other school of thought is that um, the thing that these seven games have in common is that we uh, almost never scored. And it's hard to win football games if you don't score any goals. Mm. And so that seems to be an issue. And the answer to who is going to replace noted goal machine Joe Piggott seems to be... No no one? No one? Yeah. No one is a bad answer to that question. Yeah. Now, we have had some exciting signings since we last talked, Hank, including Henry Lawrence, I always love a person with two first names. That's always, I think that's always a good sign. Um, and also Luke McCormick, both very young, very promising midfield players. Um, and so there's some hope there. And then there have been a lot of people promoted from the academy. We'll have to see how that works out. And then the other cool thing that happened is that 33-year-old Darius Charles has returned to AFC Wimbledon. He played for Wimbledon um, during many of the League Two years and I think was still playing for Wimbledon when we got promoted. And so he's back. But despite having one 33-year-old player, AFC Wimbledon are still going to be, by a pretty wide margin, the youngest professional football team in England. Mm. The average age of Wimbledon's likely starters is like 19 and a half. Oof. Yeah. Well, there's some there's some there's some kids. Can you can you lock them in for a while? <laughs> Maybe grow a bit. <laughs> it's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I I have no idea what's going to happen this season. Much more than any other season, I feel like just who knows. That said, I'm hopeful. You know, the spine of the team looks really strong. It's just like we really. We, we have to have people. We, we we need somebody who scores goals. And like, I don't know, I don't know. I know Ollie Palmer, who was our uh, large forward last year. Mm -hmm. He's healthy and seems like he'll be able to play hopefully a lot and score a lot of goals. But I don't know who that second striker is going to be. Right. And um, we're sort of running out of time here <laughs> to uh, to sign one. I feel like this is how it sort of always goes in the offseason. There's a lot of like we really need, and then like uh, a lot of it does. It's not happening. Yeah, for sure. Now I think we I think we have. <sighs> I yeah no I mean I it, this is this is the challenge of being a perpetually underfunded uh, football team. It's just going to be hard. Yeah. That said, Hank. The most beautiful thing of this preseason was in our final game of the preseason against Scunthorpe. There were 4,000 fans at Plough Lane, not a full stadium yet, 
but more fans sitting in one stand of our stadium than could fit into all of our old stadium. Wow. So it seeing the pictures brought tears to my eyes, you know, people together watching football in a stadium that they built, that they own, that they paid for. It really is a, a very special and, and uncommon thing in the history of uh, professional football and something for fans to be really, really proud of. And on August 14th, if everything goes according to plan, Plow Lane will be sold out for AFC Wimbledon's home opener. I won't be there, but uh, I will be watching from home and there in spirit. And I, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to see it. Awesome. Well, I hope it goes better than the preseason has gone. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I will say one more thing, Hank. Uh, the The great thing about the standings right now uh-huh. is that, as is the case most years, oh yeah, we are top of the league. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's alphabetical until that first game. And so we are in first place. Good work, you guys. Well, this week in Mars News, uh, so you have heard that there were were these, there was some evidence of big underground lakes. So like deep down, the way that like uh, ground penetrating radar basically was uh, uh, like bouncing around, was telling scientists that it looked like there were big lakes of liquid water. Uh, And this is exciting. But yeah, they, they there are some other thoughts about the way that we must do science, which is like okay, but what else could it be? So there are uh, there are also uh, clay minerals that are would definitely be present in areas like this, and they decided to look uh, at what it would look like if that this sort of like same situation was instead of it being water was something called a smectite. I think mm. uh, it was a clay mineral, and that's that's when eroded volcanic rock interacts with water, and then there's like a chemical change. It's like sort of a slight chemical change where it sort of gets like bonded up with the water. And those smectites are able to hold a lot of water. That's why what clays are really good at, and they are uh, abundant on Mars. We have they, there are smectites there, and the researchers found that when smectites are cooled to about negative forty-five degrees Fahrenheit, they could generate radar reflections similar to what the European Space Agency mm. found on Mars. They also found evidence of smectites in Mars's southern pole from visible and near-infrared data. So they theorized mm. that spe- smectites formed in the area during during warm spells when there was water present, and then got buried under ice while being loaded up with water. Now, they aren't, this isn't proof that smectites are the fi- the actual final source of the reflectance, but they opened up a possibility and may guide future experiments to help us understand Mars's geology. So we, at, regardless, this wasn't going to be water that you could just like drill into and be like, we got water and we can make, mm-hmm. but like it was always going to have a bunch of stuff in it. Uh, so even this is, it is water. It's just all bound up in clay. Mm. So it's likely not the kind of lake of my imagination. Definitely not the lake of your imagination. Okay. It's more like a wet rock. <laughs> it's like clay. Just imagine like clay that hasn't been, been baked. Yeah. It's like clay. Uh, yeah. Come to think of it, we have we have an analog for this on Earth that I can picture quite well, and I, I wouldn't no, want yeah. to drink it. Yeah, there are ways to get the water out of it, but um, yeah, there, there's plenty of water on Mars. Yeah. It was always going to take a certain amount of, um, 
you know, chemistry and technology to turn yeah. Mars into a place that is comfortable for humans. Is it um, is it a little bit less likely that there will be like a big pool of life down there? I guess maybe, but it was always pretty unlikely. Right. Yeah, I mean that's but that's part of I I I just read this uh, great for the for the Anthropocene reviewed episode I'm writing right now. I read this great book by Alexei Leonov, who was the first person to uh, do a spacewalk, and also uh, relevant to this particular essay, the first person to make art in space. Oh, and he wrote extensively about you know the challenges of long term space travel and. And how, you know, like we have to build systems, all of all kinds of systems that, you know, on Earth we just evolved for. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really hard to like, like reverse evolve a planet for life versus evolving life for the for a planet. Yep. No, it's not going to be easy, John. We should take care of this one. It's real good. Oh, yeah. I mean, also reading this book was the first time that I ever became like deeply aware that um, one of the reasons that I'm able to breathe on this earth is that my lungs evolved for this air. Yeah, they really did. Yeah. Which is just a beautiful thing to think about for me. You know, like it's it's lovely to think that this air, uh, I mean, you know, maybe 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 not this air, but in general, (laughs) It's still, to a, to a remarkable extent, this air, you know, my, my lungs were made for this air. Yeah, very much so. But we're going to figure out how to breathe that sweet, sweet, super thin Martian atmosphere any day now. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll be in, fully in favor of it on or after January 1st, 2028. Seems unlikely. Thank you, John, for coming to uh, hang out with me for the podcast. Thank you to everybody who sent in your questions to hankandjohn at gmail.com. We wouldn't be anything without your questions. Have we answered everyone's yet? It feels like it feels like they just keep on coming in. It's very exciting. Yeah, please keep sending your questions. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. And today, although not moving forward, she's moving on to other projects, Sheridan Gibson. Uh, our head of community and communications is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.